want to say welcome everybody to the Food Truck Beast Masters um, webinar here. We have two very special guests with us. We have Jill Summerhays, uh, CEO of Dirty Dough, and we also have Bennett Maxwell, who is the founder of Dirty Dough, and they graciously agreed to come on here and share their wisdom and knowledge with you guys. Um, really excited about this one. Um, just a ton of experience uh, with us here, and, and they're going to be able to give us a great presentation on a couple different things. Um, Ben's going to be sharing with us you know, about creating a purpose-based business and how having a purpose-based business is going to help you guys attract a larger audience as well as retain employees, which we all know is very difficult to do in any business, but especially in the food truck business. And then we have Jill with us as well. And Jill is um, not only CEO of Dirty Dough, but she is uh, the founder of Maui Wowie, uh, which was the first, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jill, but I believe it was the very first mobile franchise in the world. To my knowledge, that's true. Yeah. So um, just a wealth of knowledge. And that was in 1983. Yep. 1983. So she's been in this industry, guys, for a long time, a wealth of knowledge. Um, so be ready to listen up, write down any questions that you have. We're going to do a Q&A as well. Um, and so let's just jump right into things. I had some other things I was going to do at the intro here, but um, let's let's just jump right into it. Welcome, uh, Bennett. Welcome, Jill. Um, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks. So, Bennett, I think you prepared a little bit for us. Um, why don't we start with you? Uh, tell us a little bit about your journey, um, you know, from founding Dirty Dough and how finding purpose in what you're doing has really helped you as an entrepreneur and, and succeed and grow as a business owner. Yeah, so <clears throat> Dirty Dough was founded in November of 18 out of a, an apartment in Arizona State University, ASU. And anyways, it was actually a buddy of mine that, that started it. He posted on Facebook. He wanted some investment capital to take him from his apartment to a storefront. So I invested as a passive investor. He opened up the first storefront of March of 2020 during COVID. Like I think it was the grand opening was scheduled for three days um, after the government shutdowns. <laughs> so yeah, the, the grand openings did get, it did get uh, canceled. And to this day, we, I guess we need to go back into a grand opening for our first Tempe store. Anyways, I was living in San Diego at the time. Uh, my background is door-to-door -door sales. I had a solar company and um, I just saw that that was a really good market. I saw Crumble move there and that was one of their top stores. Actually, I think it was their top store of 2021. It had 3.6 million. So I was like, dude, let's franchise this. Um, I'll be your first franchisee. He didn't want to franchise it. Uh, the, even though it's cookies, I mean, there's still you know processes and he had never hired a manager. So he's working that, you know, 80, hundred hour week still and kind of figuring out everything as he was going. So he said, you know, I don't want to franchise this. I actually want to sell. So I don't have a background in food or franchising, um, but I did decide to buy it just over two years ago. It was in January of 21. So that first year we kind of developed, Hey, how do we simplify this? How do we um, get the, the, the messaging? We were starting to redo recipes, um, branding, all of that, I guess, I mean, it took us a year and a half to do all of that stuff. Um, but we franchised in December of 21, which is when Jill came on board as CEO. So that kicked me. I said, well, if you're CEO, what am I? She goes, you're the founder. And I said, well, I didn't found the company. She goes, no, but you found it to buy it. And I said, okay, I'll go with it. <laughs> so um, I was, we, we were building an advisory board. And for those of you guys who don't, know much about advisory board. I mean, even startups can have advisory boards and they typically do have advisory boards if you're on, especially tech startups. So started building an advisory board and one of our employees had worked for Jill before and said, Hey, you could contact Jill about being an advisor. And so I contacted Jill and she's like, you need me way more than an advisor. You need me to run this thing. And I said, if that's an option, I'll take it. So she came on it. Yeah. 18 months ago. And in those last 18 months from the, so she came on the moment we franchised um, 18 months later, we've sold 350 something franchises. We've opened up 20 something. We're opening up one or two every single week and, uh, and rolling with it. So of those 350 franchises, 
we maybe sold a handful of the mobile concept. Um, anyways, but that's kind of history of Dirty Dough. My history and, and, and why I attached a purpose to it is because I had a solar company before. Um, and I love solar. I thought it was a great product. You're selling you know, green energy at $0 down, instant savings for customers. But it wasn't something that, I mean, business is hard. And without having a deeper purpose other than just the next paycheck to live for, um, it could get very discouraging. So I had told myself I was working the long hours, nights, weekends, all of that for my family so I could spend more time with them once I had enough money. Well, then I sold my solar company um, just under two years ago. And I quickly realized that that wasn't the truth. Like, even though I had the cash in the bank and the rental properties and some other investments and some passive income, I quickly fell back into the trap of just always working, you know, nights, weekends, putting my health aside, putting my relationships aside, everything aside to make the business succeed. So at that time, I kind of, you know, like crap, what I've been telling myself is I will work less and spend more money or more time with my, my family and relationships and my health if I have so much money. Well, and then, then I achieved that, but I was still working those long hours. So I decided to see a therapist and really dive into why my, what I told myself for my beliefs were didn't match with my actions. And that caused me to kind of go deeper into my psyche and then started doing, okay, well, what's a mission statement? Why do I need a mission statement? What is my mission statement? And then with that, what are the core values? And after really diving into it, reading some books, asking a lot of friends and family uh, for feedback, I sent a kind of a template text to everybody and really, and, and then I wrote my own obituary, like different things like that. I landed on the mission that I want to accomplish is it's all about joy and fulfillment and joy rather than happiness. Joy is a little bit more, um, I guess, broad happiness comes in and it goes. I mean, you can have, you can live a joyful life and, and still be sad, you know, here and there. And that's totally fine. So that's why I chose joy. And then fulfillment is contributing to something bigger than yourself. Um, and, and, and that progression. And then I threw in despite life's dirtiness one, because it's a play on the word with dirty dough, but two, it spoke to my personal journey of don't wait to sell your solar company to find the joy and fulfillment in life. And then you focus on yourself first, help as many people as possible. So you can't apply for a Dirty Dough franchise unless you read that mission statement, the core values. And then with that, it's, okay, how do I achieve the mission statement? If we're talking joy and fulfillment, it's very apparent that it, it, it's, it's a mindset, right? A, a, a joyful and a fulfilled life, it's, it's in your mind. And another you know, mindset or mental health. A lot of times the mental health has a negative connotation of it's directly correlated with mental health illnesses. That's where people typically take it. Um, and I want to change that. Like mental health is you, you should be proactive with your mental health. You shouldn't wait, um, until some, you know, mental health illness creeps in before you start working on it. Same thing, what we do with, you know, physical or spiritual help, whatever we want to want to do with that. So the two pillars that we are building to achieve the mission statement is one is that mental, the, the mental health of the mindset. And so when you go into our dirty dough stores, you look at kind of what is causing this mental health crisis that's going on. And most people are attributing it that the highest cause is uh, social media. And what about social media? Well, our happiness and fulfillment is directly correlated with our expectations versus what our reality is. And what social media is doing is it's setting an unrealistic expectation. So our expectation is constantly going higher and higher of who we think we should be, what we think we should be doing, the places where we think we should be traveling based on other people's highlights reels, where our reality is the same. So that distance is creating that anxiety, depression, sadness. So you're looking at the other competition, everybody kind of has that Instagram perfect cookie, right? It has to look perfect, which again, that's, that's what's causing a lot of the harm. So we went the opposite. We went dirty dough is a dirty cookie. Dirty dough means the dough is dirty because we focus on the inside of the cookie. So we do more mix-ins, more chocolate chips. And then we started doing stuffed cookies and we bought special machines to do two layer cookies. And then now we're doing three layer cookies. So a three layer cookie, you look at a cookie, it looks like a chocolate cookie. Then you break it open and there's a chocolate chip cookie in the, in the middle. And in the very center, there's caramel. So that's one, an example of a three layer cookie. And the messaging behind that is the inside matters most, right? We're focusing on the inside of the cookie. So all of the branding around our company, as you walk up to a dirty dough, before you enter on, on the windows 
on every dirty dough, it says, you know, in touch with our feelings, like cookie feelings, or we care about your feelings. Like the messaging starts before you even get into a store. And then you walk in, the first thing you see is typically what's on the inside matters most, or there's a lot of other different messaging, including all of our packaging, whether you order a single, a four, six, or a dozen box, you know, one says life gets messy and that's okay. And one says life is sweet, um, different things like that. And what we're trying to build is something much more than a cookie company. It's Dirty Dough is a place that you could come for kind of a, a, a pick me up mentally, right? Like, hey, life, if life's not perfect, that's completely fine. So that's what we started building that around is just that messaging around the mental health. And then we wanted to take it a, a step further and say, well, how can we actually put our money where our mouth is and donate and actually make a difference? So we decided to go with wellness centers, mental health wellness centers, which are popping up all throughout the nation. Um, I wasn't even aware of these two years ago, but I'm here in Utah in Utah alone, which isn't a huge state, I don't know, I, I would guess there's 60 to 100 of these uh, mental health wellness centers, which is a, a, a small classroom in a K through 12 school that's been converted to a spot where kids can learn about mental health, guided meditation, breath work, um, posture, exercising, gratitude mindset, and they can come in and they can choose these different activities and see how that affects their mood. So you come in, I'm going to check in, I'm going to say, and here's a list of emotions, right? And it's like, okay, well, I'm 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 here because I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling sad. And, and I'm feeling sad on a scale from one to 10, I'm a seven. Then I'm gonna grab a timer, 10 or 15 minutes, depending on the school. And I'm gonna choose one of those activities I just named. After choosing one of those activities, my timer goes up. Then I'm gonna check in on my way out as well. So I'm gonna say, okay, I'm still feeling sad, but I'm, I'm on level two. And I did a guided meditation course following this. I think that works for me, right? So it's teaching kids, what emotions are, how to identify those, and then what tools, science-based tools you can use to regulate those emotions. So the goal is to do one of these mental health wellness centers per franchise that we open. And this was something I did just because that was my personal journey. I also have kids that I'm scared to death of like the world that they're growing up in and this mental health uh, crisis that I still feel like I don't know much about. Um, so how can we just, you know, make a better impact on the community more than just cookies or more than just money. Um, and that's why we chose to do that. Um, and the results have been a, a lot better than what I thought. It, I mean, I, we get messages, several messages weekly. Um, I mean, I got another one just literally this morning. Hey, what, can you let me know when we're hiring whatever, like whatever positions are open? I just want to work for dirty dough. And we get that all of the time because people want to be a part of the, everybody's searching for that fulfillment. And that joy. And, and, and you do get joy when you help other people, but you do get that fulfillment of like, okay, if I'm focusing, focused on making 200 grand a year and I make 150 grand, then I'm not that happy, right? Because um, I miss my expectation. If I'm expected to make um, a difference in the community by funding a mental wellness center, it doesn't matter if I made 150 or 200,000. I know that I'm educating kids and I'm making a difference in the world, right? And so if you can get people to focus on the right metrics, um, then you can have a lot, I guess you're, you're attracting like-minded people and that aren't going to complain as much, uh, you know, on, on all the small details, not saying we don't get complaints from our franchisees on yeah. the small details. Cause we do on a daily basis. <laughs> um, but it's really helped attract media, um, franchisees, customers, investors, because people want to make a difference. They want to leave behind a legacy and we're making it easy for them to do that. So that's kind of that first pillar is just the mental health. And then I know I've been talking forever, so I'll, I'll, I'll sum it up here in 30 seconds. The second pillar is entrepreneurship. How do you empower more people through entrepreneurship? Because for me, that's all I've ever done is, you know, 1099 commission, kind of commission only or owning my own businesses. And it's been very empowering to me. So what does it take to own a business? You need a game plan, you need time, you need money, and you need expertise. So with the game plan, that's what the franchise model is. How can we provide a very simplistic game plan? And what we've chosen to do is pre-produce all of the cookies and these frozen cookie pucks that are already have those three layers, like I was explaining. We ship those to the franchisees and then all they have to do is put it in the oven. So we tout ourselves as the world's simplest food franchise model. Um, again, trying to empower more entrepreneurs by saying, hey, this is, it's still a business. It's still hard to run, but it's, a lot less hard than other than other businesses. And then the time required to run one of these, well, we run with half the employees. 
So the time is a lot less because that's usually your number one time consumption. The money required to open up a dirty dough versus a crumble were much less than half. And then we rolled out the mobile trailers, which is even half of you know, a brick and mortar store. So again, how can we get more people involved? And then we've taken out the expertise required as far as baking. You don't need to be an expert baker because you'll never actually mix the cookie dough. All you're doing is putting it in the oven. Hmm. So that's kind of what we've built. Um, and and to sum it up, joy and fulfillment. And we're focusing on mental health through the messaging to the customers, the mindfulness centers, and then empowering others through entrepreneurship by creating a very simplistic model, whether that's a brick and mortar or a mobile franchise. Um, to get more people involved in owning their own businesses. Yeah, man, that you shared a lot for us to unpack there. Um, starting with, I, I want to go back to like your your branding, and I, I want to share this with make sure people are hearing this, um, especially these food truck owners that are on the call that are listening. Here you are selling a cookie, right? Uh, something simple, but it is. You can, you can hear it from your mission and all that you're doing. It is so much more than just a cookie. And that comes down to like entrepreneurship. When you're a business owner, you have such um, more opportunity to make impact on the community and the employees and families and all these different people around you. And I, I really admire what you guys are doing, how you're doing that really with something simple like a cookie. Um, you've created this branding all around uh, you know, where it's the, the message of mental health and starting with on the inside uh, that matters. You've taken that, put it on the branding of your windows, as you said, your your boxes, um, you have your mission statement, all these things laid out. And for those who were on our call that we did last month, that was actually a huge theme that came up was the importance of having a mission statement of having um these, uh, you know, a greater purpose. So it's interesting to see this pattern as we're interviewing and talking to these different entrepreneurs of how important and how that message continually comes up because it really does attract, you know, the right type of employees around you. It attracts the right type of investors, the right type of um, executive leadership to be around you and your company. And I think you guys are doing a great example of that. Um, and then also, once you have that mission, all these things, you're taking action by helping fund and build these mental health facilities. Now, I do want to ask you a question with that. Now, I, I would suspect that there's a lot of people out there who are just starting out, you know, they're getting their food truck going, they're brand new to the industry, brand new to entrepreneurship. And they have this mindset of like, I would love to give back to the community, but I can't yet. Because we're not making enough. How would you respond to them? Um, you make the customer pay for it. I mean, Max, if, if you went to, I went to a, a place here in Utah, it's called Malawi's Pizza. Every pizza you buy, and, and they have it there as you're checking out. They have a, a, a big bag of rice and beans. Every pizza you buy, they give somebody, uh, a family, a meal. And now it's rice and beans. That can, that, that'll feed a whole family for a meal. You know what that costs them? Maybe 30 cents, maybe 40 cents. So would you rather buy a pizza for $10 and not give back or $10 and 50 cents and give back. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can build it into the, the system. You don't have to eat the cost. I mean, I'm just a firm believer that 90% of people, if given the option to pay 30 cents more to give a family a meal, they're going to do it. They're, they're going to, and they, and it's not that expensive. You just need to find the right cause. Like for these wellness centers that we're doing, it's $5,000 each. That that's because we're doing a grant. We partnered up with another nonprofit, but like to ask a franchisee for five grand after they open up a franchise and, you know, corporate will put up a grand or two, then we'll do like a fundraising night, 20% of proceeds for the weekend, go to this particular mental health wellness. It's the customers that are, are paying for it. And we're doing them a service by giving them the option. Because again, every single person, if you said you want to pay $10 for your meal or $10 and 30 cents and feed somebody else. We're going to choose the $10 and 30 cents 90% of the time because it's just, it doesn't make a difference in our life and it makes a huge difference in somebody in Africa's life, right? So if you find the night, the, the right nonprofit, um, whatever you want to give back to, and you build that into your branding, customers will support you. And in the end, you will make more money by doing so. So I would say, you don't wait, take your product, whatever you're selling. If it's a cookie for $4, sell it for $4 and 10 cents and donate 10 cents advertise that and you will get 
more money than you charged um, for that 10 cents anyway. So you just got to build it in. You have to do the the messaging and the, and the branding, right? Is, is at least the hope that, that we're going for. Awesome. Love it. Thank you, Bennett. Um, Jill, welcome as well. Uh, excited to have you here as well. Uh, CEO of Dirty Dough and also founder of Maui Wowie for those who have joined us late. Um, tell us a little bit about you and your background. And uh, yeah, we, we, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, uh, I'll add a couple of, well, all right, I'll give you my background first, but you already kind of covered, Max. Um, I've been in franchising for 40 years, um, started my own mobile concept in 1983, grew it to about 700 franchisees across the country and did some international as well. Um, and then I started helping um, successful businesses franchise through a turnkey system. And then, um, you know, transitioned over to Dirty Dough. I was I I was CEO of another mobile concept as well before that. Um, I have always looked at mobile as just a, a real cash cow. Um, and you know, I had two questions for Bennett when he first approached me. One is, what's the the value? What's the give back going to be? Because from my experience, no matter what it is, and you ask the question, how do people that are just starting out afford to do that? I think sometimes we think we want to make a huge contribution and can't, but we can make a tiny contribution, a half a percent of your revenue or a full percentage, or you know, maybe once a month you're donating some, a portion of your tips or something. Um, so you can do it on a small scale, but what it does in return is it infuses so much energy back into your company that I, I think the the revenue that you get by this ethereal energy um, more than compensates for what you're giving back. Plus, it's really a great motivator for employees. Um, so I love the mobile business. I love the mobile concept. I felt like Dirty Dough was, because it was so simple, it was a natural fit for doing the mobile side. We've grown so fast that we have not made the mobile our priority. It's really starting to go now, and I'm super excited about what we're seeing. Um, and so, you know, I've done every event you can imagine over the last 40 years from a convention of morticians, which happened to be very successful, to fairs and festivals and multi-day uh, concerts, really large things. And, um, and it's been really fun. And the great thing about mobile in my mind is it puts you front and center of any activity that's going on in your city or wherever. And it's also a great excuse to travel and have a vacation while you're making money on the side. Um, I, I kind of narrowed down uh, my personal focus of five reasons why, five ways to be successful in the mobile side. Do you want me to hit those? Yeah, absolutely. We would love to. Love I think to hear since you. everybody's a mobile operator on the call, that that might be interesting. Um, and some of it is very simple, but some has really made a huge difference in my, um, my the success of, of my mobile businesses. Um, you know, one of the, one of the great things about mobile is you have a captive audience. You're not having to do any marketing to get the word out. People are coming to an event. They're expecting to pay. You don't, they don't, they know they're not going to pay traditional brick and mortar prices. So you have a little flexibility on your pricing and it's really up to you how well you do. Um, I'll hit some tips of how to you know, maximize your potential at an event. But I would say the number one thing is to be professional. The, you know, for, for being in this business for so long, it used to be that we would have a kind of a cult following. We'd People who go to events, go to events. You see them everywhere. We'd see the same faces in our lines. And then after a while, we started seeing their kids in the lines. And, you know, it just became, you know, generational customers, which was always really important. And they they would build into their tradition that, you know, at halftime at a basketball game, they always came and got smoothies. And uh, it's just their tradition. So that was very rewarding, but really growing our customers one at a time. And I, I looked at everything as 
really with a long tail. You've got a, you don't have that customer once. And anytime a customer has a good experience, we know that they share that with everybody. And so that's how we built our business at a time when smoothies were not even a word in the country. So professionalism means um, showing up early. Um, a lot of reasons for that. You can sometimes get a better location. You don't, the event coordinators don't have to worry if you're going to show up. They've, they're expecting to make money. They've sold you a, a spot and you better be there and maximize that time. Um, it all, also is great when you show up early because you can kind of start serving those people that are there prior to the vendors or whatever it is that you're, you're doing. Um, then, then the doors open, gates open, people start coming and your, your position where some of the other vendors are just barely getting things together and setting up. The other one is, you know, even if it's a dud event, we just made a policy. We were staying until the very end. That, that event coordinator took a risk on us. We we're going to maximize our potential. Um, there have been times when the event got totally rained out and all the vendors started bailing, but we stayed and the sun came out and we were the only one there. And um, that kind of thing pays off big time. It's a very small world with event coordinators and people who, who are in charge of events. They go to all different events. And if they see somebody that's performing well, you can guarantee that you're gonna get an invite to their event. Even if you know, it isn't, you know, your revenue isn't what you expected to make, you can kind of capitalize on being there. And that particular, what appeared to be a dead event could end up being an event that yields a lot of revenue at, an, you know, at another one and ongoing because they're all cyclical. Um, follow the rules, pay, pay for your fees on time, have all your certification, your health permits, your business permits, your fire permits, all of those things. If the um, event coordinator has to, you know, track you down to get all those things, it's very annoying, time consuming for them, and they see you as high maintenance. Um, don't leave a mess behind. That's a, a big no-no, um, you know, because they have to end up cleaning it up. And the other one, it's really, really bad karma if you cheat the, the venue or the event, your, the percentage. Um, sometimes, you know, you're paying a flat fee to get into something. Sometimes you're paying the percentage of your revenue. Don't cheat them no matter what. It's just not good for you, for you or for them. And they, you know, they kind of have an idea. They, they kind of watch your lines and track it. Um, another thing is to, uh, this is a big tip and believe me, you know, an expert is somebody who's made a lot of mistakes and, and I have done that. Um, one of the things that was very painful was underestimating the amount of volume that we would do. So we would go to an event and we think, okay, we're going to, we're going to make $5,000, we hope, and we end up running out of product. So we take enough product to do that. We end up running out. We've got these giant lines and we can't serve them. That is, I'm sure there's a lot of people on this call who have experienced that. And that is one of the worst feelings in the world to have that, those customers and you can't take care of them. So what I do is if I expect that I'm going to do 5k, I'm going to bring enough inventory for 6k or 65k and um, just just for peace of mind. And typically, if I set that amount in my mind, I seem to do more. Um, another, another thing, and this is really important, you know, you see long lines sometimes and you think, wow, they're doing so much business. But then when you watch the progress of that line, you see that they're not moving forward. It's very slow. So you need to set your system up so it's very streamlined and efficient. That doesn't mean more employees. Sometimes more employees really clog up your, your rhythm. And it means, you know, what is the most efficient way to do my food prep line? And, um, and how do I streamline this so that I can get the most out the window as fast as possible? If that means you're serving too many products, you want to cut it down. You want to, you want to be able to do what you can manage very fast. I've done, 
um, football games where I know that I'm going to be hit with 30,000 people, 40,000 people, and I have 20 minutes to serve all these people. So we'll drop our flavors down to one flavor. In, in this situation, it'd be one cookie just for that halftime, just for the 20 minutes so that we can get them through our lines really fast. And then as the line um, slows down, you bring in that, you know, the rest of your menu items, but people don't care. They just want something. And if they're in line, you know, they may have, they want a chocolate chip cookie and, and we pulled that. They'll be disappointed, but they're still going to order. Um, another thing to do is put your very most personable and fast working person at the POS system. They need to take all the money they can as fast as they can, because if they've paid, they're going to stay around and wait. If they don't see the line moving, they're going to give up and walk away or go somewhere where they can actually get something because they only have a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. So once they've they've paid, you want to make sure that you're still serving them in the order that they've paid. And that takes a little bit of thinking of how you're going to do that. Um, but it, another thing is you can prepare in advance. For us, that means pre-baking a lot of cookies. Um, it means putting our boxes together in advance. It means doing our decorating. We know we're going to get slammed. So let's do it in advance while you know, we have a little bit of dead time or in the beginning of a particular event. Um, and again, you know, you really want to have efficient employees because it's all about speed. It is all about speed. And, and, and I've seen it with my, with my own previous business where I would have three um, kiosks at a football game. They all have the same amount of opportunity same people same opportunity and based on the different employees i'll get very different results out of the different kiosks and it's because of the how fast my operators are working so those people the ones that are fast paced and and good with the customers they're valuable you might want to pay them a little bit more you want to keep them around um let's see prep line talked about that just making sure that you don't run out of anything um, fourth thing, and I, I just have two more, this is a, like a, a really a no brainer, but not a lot of people do it. And that is to say, thank you. Customer service is so important. And I find that that is rare these days, but thanking people for their business, it should be mandatory. Your employees will do what you, what you train them to do. If they're not doing it, it means you haven't trained them correctly and it's on you. So if they know it's a requirement, they'll do it, especially if you're enforcing it. They also seem to pick up your energy. And if you're enthusiastic and having fun, they will also. If you're pissed off, that you're it's a downer, you're, you're mad that you have to be there, you're irritated at people, the morale just goes down. And I swear to you that that goes out into the crowd and people sense that. They really do. Mm -hmm. So... Um, just having a really good attitude because, you know, the mobile event business is not for the faint hearted. It is a roller coaster. You, can, you know, you'll be on a high one day and then just what am I doing the next day? So you really do have to just kind of roll with it. and know that's just the nature of the business. You win some, you lose some, but, you know, your sales continue to grow and overall. Um, number five is you need to stand out in the crowd. It, you know, I did an air show once with uh, 200,000 people there and we were just lost. We were a tiny little, you know, fish in the sea. And so having the right things to draw attention, whether it's flags, for us with Dirty Dough, we have a bright colored trailer with big cookies on it. We have um, an oven that has a fan that sends the smell out into the crowds. Mm -hmm. You know, sell, smells sell. They do. You don't need to have any other awareness than people will follow their nose to where is that smell of baked cookies. So that was really, really important when we were building these trailers is, you know, how are we going to get that smell out to the crowd? So we paid extra for a fan that would do that. And it does. So color, um, you know, positioning yourself where you are going to be noticed, having fun. I mentioned that before, but I, I'm going to say it again. 
it's just really important to have fun. Um, and then my last tip, which has been really my secret to success, and that is I started a practice in the very beginning when I was trying to grow my business that I always sent a handwritten thank you note to whoever let me in the event, the event coordinator, whoever it was, thanking them, look forward to seeing you next year or next time. Um, often I would give them a smoothie or, you know, whatever it in this case it would be a little box of cookies. Um, they'll remember you. It, it's kind of a thankless business that they're in. People are just always mad at them and um, because they're, they're the police there. So they will remember somebody that shows appreciation, thankfulness, gives them a little something. I have, I've been, I've done the same events for 30 years over and over and over again because of that. And they're extremely loyal to me. Um, they remember, they're not going to take a chance on somebody else when they know what they can expect. You know, my level of professionalism that I'm going to do all these things that I just talked about. They're not going to take a chance on a competitor, letting the competitor in when they when they have predictable results and good sales from me, and they know I'm not going to cheat them. So that I, I think that one is a, a very small thing that will yield amazing results. That's and, awesome. You know that there's a lot of other things, but those are really the basics that not doing any of those things that I mentioned, I think is going to really hurt you. If you, if you're planning on being in this business long-term, that's, that's the way you need to run your business. Oh, hundred percent. So I do want to open up this time uh, to you guys for Q and a. Um, so go ahead and start putting your qu questions in the chat there. Um, and I'm going to start it off with you, Jill. Now you, you gave us a lot of tips um, of things that you've done over the last, you know, several years that have proven to give success. Now you're in this opportunity where you're helping these different franchises grow. Uh, I imagine you interview a lot of different franchisees. What qualities and what things are you looking for when you're interviewing somebody to, you know, see if they're going to be a good fit to open a franchise with you? Oh, great question. I have three very specific things. Number one is work ethic. Are they going to do whatever it takes to make their business successful? Do they have in this same um, question is, do they have the um, understanding of the work that's going to be involved? Sometimes people are misinformed and they think it's going to be really easy. What I want to know is, you know, if they're doing a, an event in Alabama and there's a problem, are they going to get on a plane and go and take care of that? Or just what is your commitment level? Second one is, are you willing to follow the brand? You know, we have very specific brand standards and any deviation from that hurts all of our franchisees. Are you going to follow our brand standards? And then the third is working capital. Um, you know, it's not just a matter of, and, and I know that I'm, I know everybody knows what I'm talking about here. When you apply to get into events, you're putting money up front, um, sometimes six months in advance to get into an event that you're not going to see for, you know, six months. So are you willing to invest in your business and know that it, it takes money to make money? Um, so having that working capital always is really, really important in the early days. I mean, I was scrambling between events and, you know, buying groceries with my event money because uh, I was trying to live off of that. And, um, then qu very quickly realized I needed to set money aside for future events. So I think those three things, but the most important of all is, are you, are you going to do what it takes to be successful? Yeah, I think, um, you know, as I've, you know, talked to a lot of food trucks, worked with a lot of food trucks, um, we manage, I have two food truck Facebook groups um, combined, there's about 25, 20 to 25,000 food truck members in it. So I see their posts and things like that. And a lot of them are intimidated by having to pay for an event. Um, and, and that, you know, generates a lot of fear, understandably, especially for people who are new and you know, haven't taken that leap of faith where they haven't seen the ROI from paying up front. Um, what tips would you have for those folks to help them 
picking good events to where they are going to see that ROI? Well, uh, all the franchisees that I have dealt with uh, over the last 30 years have all wanted to go for the grand slams first. And, you know, to get those big events, you have to put out a lot of money for them. And it's scary because if you have bad weather or something happens and the attendance isn't what the event coordinators say it's going to be, you're just out that money. So I, I have always tried to suggest mixing your calendar up with some smaller things medium size and and the big ones so that you're not putting all your eggs in that one basket of that you know giant event which you may not be able to serve fast enough to get that investment back um so i think staggering it a little bit is probably a good thing and then after you do it the first time you know what's going to be a, a real winner and what to reinvest in for the next year or the next month, however frequently it comes around. But I think it's good to have weekly events like, you know, farmers markets or um, arts festivals or things like that that come around all the time. You know what to expect, you know how to prepare, and then to take the risk and do some of the really big ones. But I, I don't always see the big ones as being the most profitable. Absolutely. Um, Bennett, question for you. Um, we talked about um, when you were working with the the very first Dirty Dough, uh, you mentioned how that uh, your your buddy, when he was opening it, he was still managing it. He was kind of stuck in the business. You've been able to help grow and expand Dirty Dough. Um, what kind of messaging would you have for those food truck owners to where they're not, how, like, how can they get out of working in the business and start working on the business, I guess is my question. Like, how do they find that first hire or find that person that's going to really enable them to, to grow the business instead of just having to work the POS all the time, because they're the ones that are saying the, the thank yous and doing it correctly. Um, my favorite business book has been the E-Myth Revisited. The E stands for entrepreneur. So it's this myth that we have hundreds of thousands of small business owners. And this book talks about that. that that's the <clears throat> they're not real business owners. They're small business owners that own their own job, right? Because you don't get paid if you don't show up. Uh, and not only do you own your own job, it's typically not a great job because you get paid last and you have to work the longest hours. So you have to change the mindset to see what, and that's totally fine if that's what you want to do. Um, but if you want scalability, then you have to be able to be comfortable with hiring out and delegating. And when you do that, you will always you're, you're pulling either thin margins or no margins and, and um, to hire somebody. And it's like, well, I don't really have money to hire somebody. Um, but that's, you know, you, I don't have money to market, but you can't get sales without marketing, right? So it's, it's always kind of the chicken, the egg. Um, for me, I just felt like it, it, it's not going to make sense if um, I'm the run one running the point of sale system. So I'm just not going to, to run that and hire somebody and whatever it takes to be able to do that, um, I'm going to be able to do that. So I'm, I'm willing to do what I'm good at. So what I'm good at is sales. So even like when Jill came on, we weren't a franchise. I mean, that was the first month that we were franchised. We didn't have revenues. We weren't making profits um, to be able to pay for a lot of employees. But what I thought was, well, I know I can go knock doors and sell solar if I need to and use that money to go pay somebody that's a lot more capable of running the business than me. Like, so let me stay in my lane and do what I'm doing and hire out the rest. Cause I know what my value per hour is if I'm knocking doors, selling solar or something like that. Right. So you, you can figure out what you like doing, what you're good at doing. And then you can, uh, you can attach a dollar value. Like if I'm selling a franchise, I'm worth um, a lot more than if I'm running a store. Right. So why would I ever run the store? So getting clear on what you're good at, what you like doing, and then actually putting a dollar amount on that because I'm going to make the company way more money if I'm just focusing on franchise sales or PR or podcasting or whatever like that in the long run. So add, really um, Max? Oh, sorry, Bennett, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm done. Um, what we did was my husband and I ran our first setup. This is in 83. Um, then we decided, man, this particular event, which was a state fair, we could have two. So we split up. We each managed one of them. 
Then we realized, you know, we could add a third. We took our best employee from one of our two, put them to manage that third. And then as, you know, as you grow, you're going to have some real stellar employees. But I think they need to have a piece of the pie. They need to have a piece of the action to keep them because good people leave. They go, they have opportunities and they go elsewhere. So giving them a percentage of the revenue, maybe a small percentage of ownership or something where they have real motivation to do it right. Because if you're not watching them and you haven't properly trained them, you can just expect a really great product to just gradually start circling the drain. So having somebody who has some skin in the game and is rewarded for it, I think is really important. Love that. I think that's something that, uh, you know, a lot of people miss. They they think, oh, they can just be supplemented by a paycheck, but um, giving them a percentage of the sales, giving them skin in the game, that's that's a game changer when it comes to getting those employees and being able to scale your business. So um, thank you both. Thank you, Jill. Thank you, Bennett, uh, for being on here. I'm looking at time. We got about nine minutes left. Um, and so did either one of you have any last comments or things you wanted to share with the group? Go ahead, Bennett. I've already, I've already talked a lot. Um, no, I, I guess just touching on that last one. If you read that book, The E-Myth Revisited, it teaches you how, I mean, what Jill was describing was she started it, she figured it out, then branched the second one and then figured it out and then branched to the third one and kind of replaced herself. And that's what the E-Myth goes over is build your organization chart how do you want your business to look like in five years? So you, you have a CEO and you have a CFO and you have, um, you know, a sales director and then a salesperson and all of these positions. And maybe you have 30 people, maybe you have 20, maybe you have 50. I don't know. And then you, if you're the only person, you fill your head in every single one of those, which is, seems like a stupid activity. But then what you do is you start at whatever, you know, one of the lower positions um, and you figure it out. So it's like, okay, well, I am the uh, customer service employee. So what does that look like? What are the hours that I work? What is, what is the pay that I receive? What is the equity percentage that I receive? What is What are the standing operating procedures? And you build that out and write it all down. And then you hire that position and then you promote yourself to the next position. So you go from a salesperson to a sales uh, regional. And then what does that pay structure look like? What are the hours that they work? What are the commission structures? Um, what is everything that they do? And then you write it all out and you learn it inside out, then you hire that, then you go to the next position. Um, so you do need to figure out as much as you can in the business. So you know, if employees are telling you uh, if, if they're bullshitting you or not. Um, and, and, and also so you can provide them more support, but you slowly gradually um, replace yourself one position at a time. Awesome. Thank you, Bennett. Hey, I'll then, tell you one thing, uh, Max, that it was a big aha to me. And that is one particular weekend I had, it was a Saturday. I had 10, they were kiosks at the time. And it was back when we just did cash. Nobody paid with credit card or anything. I had 10 um, kiosks going in the city at the same time. And I was home. I stayed home. And my doorbell, you know, late at night, my doorbell rang 10, 10 different groups coming and handing me wads of cash. <laughs> and I thought, oh, man, I'm onto something here. And, and that was a real rush, I'll tell you that. It's also logistically very challenging. If I were to do it again, I would have somebody managing that team, receiving the money and depositing it into my account. But um, you know, if, if it's done right, and that means a lot of oversight, it, it is an incredibly profitable business to be out there at doing mobile events. That's awesome. Um, and Jill, I see you, uh, shared your emails in the comments there. Someone was asking how to get a hold of you guys. Um, so I see your email there and then I do see, we did get a question. Um, I don't know if you guys want to answer this on this call or you could do a one-off with them, but they are asking how much does it cost to, uh, for you as a franchisor to onboard a new franchisee? So I don't know if that's something that you'd want them to reach out to you directly and discuss, or if you guys feel comfortable sharing that on here. I'm not sure what does it mean? How much this question mean? How much does it cost to become a franchisee or what is our cost to onboard? 
Um, I think it is how much they, they said, how much does it cost you as a franchisor to onboard a new franchisee? So how much does it cost? Like if you had to estimate to bring on a new franchisee is what I'm mm. their question is. That is really hard to uh, define because we have uh, onboarding support that goes for three or four months and then there's further support after that. So there's a, we have a whole team that does that onboarding and training. And then we have, once you open your store, then you have store support. I, I wouldn't want to put a number on it. I couldn't put a number on it right now, but it's quite a process. Understood. And then someone else was asking, um, and again, for lack of uh, information on it, they asked, how do you handle tax? And so I think their question is, how do you handle tax when you have multiple franchisees? I'm not sure. They're responsible for paying their own sales tax. So we don't touch it. We take our royalties off of their uh, net after the sales tax has been taken off. So it's we don't want to have that liability. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Jill. Thank you, Bennett, for your time, for being on here. Um, I didn't get to a chance to really introduce Food Truck Beast to you guys because of the technical delays at the beginning. Um, but for those who are on, again, Food Truck Beast, um, we're on a mission to really help entrepreneurs in the food truck space achieve the freedom um, that they're looking for and crush their goals. And people will ask, you know, well, what is Food Truck Beast? And it's kind of in between a company and a community. So as I mentioned, we have some food truck uh, Facebook groups um, where we share tips, tricks, and things like that. But then we also have uh, technology that we're providing to food trucks. So we have a CRM system uh, that helps them gather emails, gather phone numbers, be able to text message their customers, send out their schedule, different promotions. Um, we've also partnered with a payment provider. So we have a, a POS and payment side to Food Truck Beast. Um, and then we also have a coaching program. So um, Bennett, you're talking about, you know, hiring out and, and bringing on a team. I brought on a team of coaches. Um, so if someone's interested in working with a food truck coach, we do have food truck coaches available as well. Um, to learn more about that, you can go to uh, www.foodtruckbeast.com slash call, and you can book a call with me directly. Um, and then we'll, we can talk more about the coaching program. Um, and if you're interested in our payment processing, you can go to foodtruckbeast.com slash payments. And our goal, you know, our vision for Food Truck Beast really is, um, for the, some of you guys might know, today and this week is NRA. So the National Restaurant Association is going on in Chicago. And we want to be able to host one of the very first food truck events of that size where food trucks can come from all over the country and participate and network and get to know each other. So that's our goal. That's our mission of what we're driving to. We want to create that community. Um, so if anybody wants to learn more about that, you can go to foodtruckbeast.com slash call. And uh, Jill and Bennett both shared their emails down below in the chat. So if you want to reach out to them and talk to them directly, you're more than welcome to do so. But thanks everybody for joining. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much, Jill. Thank you, Bennett, again. Uh, you guys have been great and uh, shared so much knowledge with our with our guests here, um, with people participating. So thanks again. Uh, and, uh, thank you, guys. All thank right. You, Take care. Thanks, guys.